Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back once again to Samuel Adams Returns. Those anti-federalists are proving that they absolutely got it correct. And this is Tom Novolis, your host. And I am delighted that you are here with me for this last program of 2022. So we are wrapping up the year, and uh, that's what this program is today uh, for you, is a a good wrap-up, a summary, kind of a closure to the year, if you will, and maybe a little bit into what uh, I will be doing next year. So I wanted to, first off, before I did anything else, is to thank those uh, couple of people that have been consistently donating um, and supporting Samuel Adams Returns. This is, uh, as you know, something that we started about a year ago, is to go ahead and incorporate Samuel Adams Returns and ask you to uh, participate as you could. And uh, there are a couple people, a couple individuals who have been faithful financial supporters of the program, as well as there were a a couple others that actually did some one-time gifts. So I just want to give you my warm thanks for doing that. This week, I am taking and... When you go into the program notes there at samueladamsreturns.net, I did not do an elaborate write-up. You figure what I'm doing is I'm looking at the 52 weeks of programming and trying to summarize it for you. I have to say that in everything that I started last year, it was really referenced around political theology. And that's what I want to talk about in the summary. And quite frankly, I have there in the notes um, a a summarizing statement. Everything is theological. The question to you is what theology as ascribed to what God? It's obvious to me, and we're going to tease you a little bit in the uh, second segment with uh, some thoughts from a guest that I'm going to have on in February. This uh, gentleman is a PhD candidate at uh, Hillsdale College, and I am going to be delighted to have him on. He's a brilliant uh, fellow, and I uh, am looking at some of his work in that maybe our constitutional destruction and pulling apart actually began with several of the founders themselves. And when I have him on the program, we're going to cover one founder in particular, which everybody is so enamored with. I am too. I mean, he did a lot of good hard work, and that'd be Madison. And yet, Madison, and you may take some time over this next month to uh, do a little bit of your own homework on Madison, yet Madison uh, is one of those core uh, developers of a constitutional republic in so many ways, yet he is exactly the type of person that the Anti-Federalists warned of, and his thinking they warned of. 
So we'll get into that more in February. But it goes to what was Madison's theology? What was the theology of many of the other founders? What's your theology? What do you believe about God? And what does that mean in how you govern yourself, your home, your family? How do you take and govern within your work environment? And then how is it that you look at those that you elect to establish governance and execute that governance for you? Interesting. And everyone, I have come to the absolute conclusion over everything that I have read this year and previously over many decades is that everything is theological. Everything. It's well said by others as well. So in summarizing a uh, quote, or to give you the quote for those that have not read uh, and looked at my Christmas greeting, you can find it there at samueladamsreturns.net. But I want to share with you the quick quote from a Reverend Jasper Adams. He was born in Massachusetts, but he moved to South Carolina. And quite frankly, his message, the sermon that he preached, and I'm taking this excerpt from that he preached, uh, was sent to James Madison, and Madison commented on it, and his commenting was quite interesting. So with that, let's uh, look at this quote from Reverend Jasper Adams' sermon in 1833. And I say this, quote, We find by examining its, Christianity's, history that, in rude ages, its influence has softened the savage and civilized the barbarian, while in polished ages and communities, it has accomplished the no less important end of communicating and preserving the moral and religious principles which, among a cultivated people, is in peculiar danger of being extinguished amid the refinements, the gaiety, and the frivolous amusements incident to such a state of society. And he was talking about that time frame in 1833. He was talking about all of the frivolity that was going on, the happiness, the gaiety, oh, the refinements, you know, here we have all these different, you know, what do you call them, the entertainment, the elite, the, you know, the, the special people that are out there. Talking about special people, I was going to go through uh, some of the litany of words there that Stanford University has really gotten their heads chomped on about their exclusion words. Well, that wouldn't have flown in 1833, and it should not fly today in reference to Stanford. But what we have to consider is what he was talking about here is that Religion, Christianity in particular, was what? In a danger of being extinguished amid those refinements, the gaiety, 
the frivolous amusement uh, incidents to such a society as we have today. That is amazing that he would say that. Now, when I look at that, that was a, a snapshot of a thought process on religious theology, political theology. And in trying to bring that into uh, certain senses of certainty, uh, I, I wrote this as well in the newsletter there at SamuelAdamsReturns.net, in that you know I always say that the anti-federalists got it right. And they clearly predicted our present, especially in their full understanding of the ramifications of those American sons of the Enlightenment who argued for the Constitution of 87. Now, that is where we have to stop again, and I have to ask you the questions, is that what were the fundamental backgrounds of a lot of the folks participating in that Constitutional Convention? What was their theology? And I have to continue, and what I wrote is that the Anti-Federalists expected the pulpits to hold true to Christian orthodoxy, but knew full well that the humanisms of the Enlightenment and the theological shift to universalism and Unitarianism would be the demise of constitutionalism. And then I refer you to links of other programs where I specifically discuss that in reference to uh, political theology part one and then uh, Democrat convulsions and a defense of liberty against tyrants. As we finish up these last five minutes, I want to make it very clear, if I haven't already, is that everybody has a theology. But the question always will come to, what is it? Who is your God or your gods? Or is it simply otherwise stated, what and who are your idols? We see that program out there, the American Idol was a, a program. Well, you're establishing an idol. Is it a sports figure? Is it some kind of uh, thought process, desires, wants? Uh, is it what? What are your idols? And idols are little gods with a small g. Who are they? How do you believe in them? How do you believe they are going to sustain you? Is your God what we have now in America, the national God of humanism? Uh, I, oh, yeah, you know what? We can fix all our problems. We just legislate more. Well, that's tyranny. That's tyranny. In fact, you know, we can take and we can go to even uh, to Tocqueville. The Tocqueville was clear in what he had to say uh, in taking and looking at what it was for us in America. He's, he wrote this. The remarks I have made will suffice to display the character of Anglo-American civilization in its true light. It is the result, and this should be constantly present to the mind of two distinct elements, which in other places have been frequent hostility, 
but which in America have been admirably incorporated and combined with one another. America, here, what we have is that what he alludes to, and he, he writes this, I allude to the spirit of religion and the spirit of liberty. The settlers of New England were at the same time ardent sectarians and daring innovators. Narrow as the limits of some of their religious opinions were, they were entirely free from political prejudices. Hence arose two tendencies, distinct but not opposite, which are constantly discernible in the manners as well as in the laws of the country. It might be imagined that men who sacrificed their friends, their family, and their native land to a religious conviction were absorbed in the pursuit of the intellectual advantages which they purchased at so dear a rate. The energy, however, with which they strove for the acquirement of wealth, moral enjoyment, and the comforts as well as liberties of the world is scarcely inferior to that with which they devoted themselves to heaven. We're going to come back a little bit more on de Tocqueville and that summarization that he has right there on uh, America. But this goes to even what I've talked to you about in the past uh, from Kuiper's idea of the, his spheres and that everything is in these various segments that interconnect and are completely, constantly discernible even in the way that laws are made. So when we talk about Christian nationalism, I have to say that de Tocqueville was able to identify it in so many ways. And he gets into some other aspects of that later and some of the divisions that are seen. But most importantly is that what we have to learn how to do, what people are not doing, is understanding that we live in the world to the fullest extent possible with always thinking that our eternity is now. And that's what the majority of the Anti-Federalist founders and a number of the other founders understood. But there were those that did not, and they brought in their humanism. So they didn't give a rip about heaven. They were all about earth. Come on back in the next segment, because Samuel Adams, he did get it right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this second segment of Samuel Adams Returns. Those anti-federalists, again, they absolutely got it correct. And I want to continue with uh, how I finished that last segment for just a moment before I give you a little bit more of a teaser into next year. But the point of what is political theology has to go to who's your God? Who is it that you uh, give your attention to? Are you looking at everything that is from that perspective that God has his hands in and upon and is active and that eternity is right now? 
You see, because I, I fully believe, and that's what I see that scriptures, especially in the New Testament, clearly writes, is that Jesus isn't just somewhere else. Jesus is the king of heaven and earth. And he tells us in the Lord's Prayer that we pray from a perspective of what is the Father's will in heaven and on earth. That's not something that has that distinguishing mark of separation between now and then. The The fact of the matter is, your now could become your then in milliseconds. That's a fact. Your now can become your then, your future, in milliseconds. So, it's uh, it's a reality. It's a reality. There was uh, another idea that I wanted to bring to you from uh, from Witherspoon, who was uh, a in, he was one of uh, Madison's professors. And this is where uh, it becomes interesting: is that Madison had a disconnect uh, after his freshman year in in college. And that he was going to take, and even he thought about becoming a minister. But all of a sudden, he started studying law. But unlike Sam Adams, who stayed true to his Puritan heritage and biblical beliefs, that's not what Madison did. Madison truly chased after those of the Enlightenment. And that's terrible, because... That's not what uh, we have here from Witherspoon. Witherspoon, uh, very clearly, he he wrote uh, this in one of his sermons uh, on the passions of men. He goes, there is not greater evidence either of the reality or the power of religion than a firm belief of God's universal presence and a constant attention to the influence and operation of his providence. It is by this means that the Christian may be said, in the emphatical scripture language, to walk with God and to endure as seeing him who is invisible. Right there is what I was talking about earlier. To walk with God and endure as seeing him who is invisible. He, his divine providence, his everything about him, his universal presence is there without any question in the minds of those who put their attention into that, what? Theology, that belief in God. The doctrine of divine providence is very full and complete in the sacred oracles. So scripture is very clear about this is what Witherspoon's saying. So when Jefferson, Madison, even John Adams look at it from either universalism and in particular Unitarianism, they miss this. They miss the divine providence as it is in Scripture. It extends not only to things which we may think of great moment and therefore worthy of notice, but to things the most indifferent and inconsiderable. And he quotes, Are not two sparrows sold for a fairing, says our Lord, 
and one of them falleth not to the ground without your heavenly Father? Nay, the very hairs in your head are all numbered. It extends not only to the things beneficial and salutary, but what? No, it also goes to the direction and assistance of those who are the servants of the living God, but to things seemingly most hurtful and destructive, and to persons the most refractory and disobedient, he overrules all his creatures and all their actions. Thus we are told that fire, hail, snow, vapor, and stormy wind fulfill his words. In the course of nature, and even so, the most impetuous and disorderly passions of men that are under no restraint from themselves are yet perfectly subject to the dominion of Jehovah. That's pretty powerful, ladies and gentlemen. We've just seen this polar express cross the majority of the nation. We've seen it take and what it did with the storms throughout western New York and all the destruction. Hey, Buffalo, New York, in 72 hours, three days, 50 inches of snow at the airport. And prior to that, they had like another six foot of snow just a few weeks ago around Thanksgiving. Lake Erie. I received pictures, which is normal for many of the Great Lakes. The winds blew so sufficiently that there were places that the lake went down five feet, almost 10 feet. Whereas out towards Buffalo, once again, the water rose. Now, isn't that amazing that that became dry land. Oh, so think about crossing the waters for the nation of Israel on dry land based on how God works the wind. I'm bringing you all of this because it always comes down to what is your theology. And your political theology is also based on what's called your eschatology. So for many, and we've talked about it, I've talked about it on other programs, as well as it was the understanding of the Puritans, it was the understanding of the true early Congregationalists, not the Universalist Unitarian Congregationalists that are there now, It was the understanding of the Orthodox Presbyterians, not the liberal-minded, unorthodox Presbyterians now. It was the understanding even of a number of the Baptists, that God's, what? His authority reached earth now, and that the calling of his church was universal in a way that bad theology crept in. So now you have a bunch of rooftop sitters that do not want to get involved in the politics of the age and have not been since 
the founding of the nation because of Unitarianism and Universalism and then humanism coming in. Oh, the Enlightenment and what it did. Well, I'm sorry, my friends. Those are the realities. Are you, is your God you? Is your God humanity? Is your God the idea that humans can get themselves out of their own mess? What gods does it take to do that? Your God becomes government. And your government then becomes a despotic tyrant. Well, I can go on more with the understanding here of Witherspoon and of others of that time, but I focused on Witherspoon because I just tease you a little bit with Madison and that when we have this uh, young PhD candidate on in February, we're going to talk about uh, Madison being the primary uh, anti-Christian nationalist. Primary. I mean, he was more than what uh, Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist. Madison affected how at a federal level, and then he very much affected at the state level, starting with Virginia, in taking and being anti-Christian as the foundational morality of the nation. So what happens to the Constitution? So, uh, let's take that for a few minutes. So if you even look at, you know, John Adams, because everybody, no, 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 you know, Adams and, and Madison, they said that this Constitution is only for a moral and virtuous or moral and religious people. Yeah, but, you know, and you have to understand that it was, Madison said, moral and virtuous. But you have to clearly get the idea of virtue and what that meant. So you need to go to the 1828 dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, and go look that up. Go look it up online yourself to understand virtue, to understand morality was referencing Christianity as the fundamental mechanism for morality at the time. But virtue comes from many uh, ideas, according to even Madison. Where does virtue come from? Where does that mean? Where is it from a humanistic, self-sustaining, outward kindness and common sense function to your fellow man, especially within the context of society? So when we look at that, and we look then at what does that mean to try and define what Madison was promoting in specific to a total separation specifically of Christianity from any political means, how is there going to be a moral and virtuous people? You know, Madison's intent and idea was that toleration of all various religions. He put everything on an equal basis, if you will. He was determined that you know, one was no different than the other. And in fact, 
Some of his writings, which we'll talk about later, were very clear that he despised religion, organized religion, in any manner whatsoever because it contracted, it enslaved the minds of men. So we often say that it was Marx who took and looked at religion as that opium of the people. Well, Madison really didn't talk about the drug side of it, but he did say that it was a shackling of the mind. He did say that it it was the tyranny and the despotism that came about and came over the people. Interesting. We'll get into it more later in February, but what I want to do is cover a little bit uh, in the third segment. We're going to go over uh, what was kind of the closure sheet from this past year and a couple of their key points of what we'll be doing in the next year. So when we think about it, the question then remains is, what is your God? What is your theology? And how does it apply to every aspect of your life? Because we know that God, from what Witherspoon was teaching, divine providence is involved in every aspect of your life, even as to how the wind blows, even as to how the wind blows. So I think it's extremely interesting that we ponder on that and we determine that is the living God of the scriptures, uh, that of the sacred oracles, is his divine providence acting within your life? Are you recognizing that? Are you recognizing that to walk with God and to endeavor as seeing him who is invisible? You're seeing him, you're walking with him. Sam Adams understood that. That's how he lived. So come on back for this last segment. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this last segment for the end of the year 2022 of Samuel Adams Returns. Those anti-federalists absolutely got it correct, and this is Tom Novolis, your host. Well, as I said, as we closed out the last segment, is that I'm going to give you the snapshot review of 2022. We're going to do it by quarter. Uh, I would ask that uh, you take and you go to samueladamsreturns.net over my shoulder, and you look at everything there because the links are built right in to that posting so that you can uh, check it out even more. So let's go first quarter, first quarter of 2022. Uh, remember that most everything that I've done last year and will continue to do has a perspective of political theology incorporated into it. Because as I've been saying, and I heavily emphasized in the last segment, is your theology determines your political views and activity. Your participation as a citizen is determined by your theology. And everybody has a theology. Everybody. Not one person does not, because God puts it in our hearts to have it. So, first quarter, 2022, I start out from January 6th and the real insurrection to the church implementing the New World Order while questioning where the pastors are and dealing with cabaling crowds and 
Christianity in corporatism. That's a lot. That's a mouthful. Everybody's still talking about January 6th. You know, you, you have those idiots in Congress because they are idiots. They're demented. They're sick. They're of their own religion being that nationalist, political, government tyrant. That's what they are. And they do not want to even mention the real insurrection was decades ago, even back in the 80s, and they were the same people because they were their teachers, were the real insurrectionists, were the socialists and the communists of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I talk about that in that program, and the link is there, January 6th in the real insurrection. The church implementing the New World Order the church, in the title, is a big C, but in reality, it's the little C. It's all the different tolerance, the religions, the epitome of what Adams, Jefferson, and Madison in particular, even Monroe, but Madison in particular, wanted in religious tolerance. That's simple. Now, I take you through where the church and Christianity in the small C, again, is taking and colluding completely with humanism and totalitarianism because, once again, they are of the universalist and the Unitarian theologies, plain and simple. They're not orthodox, so they are. They're implementing the New World Order then where's the pastors? I talk about where are the pastors in comparison to those during the founding era? Well, be honest with you, that's a challenge. There's a, there's a lot of good Orthodox pastors that are emerging. We're seeing that. You know that, uh, for instance, one of my really good friends, Mike Spaulding, fits into that Orthodox category. You know, I always talk about our home church in Idaho, which is there at Christ Church, and Pastor Doug Wilson, and that whole crowd that is uh, involved in that denominational set. There are some good ones out there, but where's the rest? Then talking about the cabaling crowds, the you know what's going on? What are the different cabals that are out there? What's happening uh, with that? And then Christianity and corporatism, once again, that's really the little C, and you have to go look at that link because it's extremely interesting what I talked about there. And then finally, I finished out March with the fantastic guest of Dr. Ben Merkel, who's the president of New St. Andrews College. We talked about education. We talked about really realistically, in my mind, and I've been this persuasion for decades now, is that we need to defund the public university system because they're making millions and billions of dollars from all the other funding that they get in grants and other stuff that they do not need our taxpayer dollars. So we need to stop funding these public institutions. Private institutions can go get whatever funding they can get, but they should not receive any public money. All right, let's jump to the second quarter because we're running out of time. 
So I open up the second quarter with um, a, oh, we can look at it from that quote, the ideas of that quote from Reverend Adams that I mentioned back in the first segment. So the first program in April, I covered the extravagance, irreligion, and universal depravity of the age. And just get into it right there. What's going on? What are we seeing? What what are we seeing? And we can talk about that. It's there. The, the depravity of what is even in this omnibus bill that they did, giving to immorality. So yes, you can legislate morality. They just did. They just legislated money for immorality. How about that? Hmm. And yet Madison said, keep the religion separate. Keep that different. Because mankind can take and hold their moral substance. Right. So although I touched on the corporate push for environmentalism, I do that in a couple different programs, but I give you the link to one and the ESG stuff that's going on. And you're seeing that thankfully to a number of the secretaries of states and governors of various states, they're pulling money out of the likes of BlackRock. They're pulling money out of a lot of these other money managers and corporations that are pushing this ESG heavy on the environmental nonsense. Um, then I uh, stay more or less on the lost religion is a lost nation. Uh, we hear that from de Tocqueville. We hear that from some of the other pastors and founders of the day. And um, that's very critical because when we lose Christianity as the foundational religion, then you lose the nation. That's scriptural, straight out of the Bible. All right, and then I go deeper and further deeper into the enemy's plan against the U.S., which is decades, centuries old, uh, an analysis of the American road to socialism. So that was the second quarter. Third quarter, I spent a lot of the programs regarding the various aspects of these United States national religion. We do have a national religion. People don't understand that to the extent that maybe some are coming awake with it, but we do. So you have to look at the program starting at episode 358, which is called Enlightenment Toward the National Religion, and I cover the Enlightenment. And you go through episode 368, which is that on, nation, on Christian Nationalism 7.0, and uh, what I mean by that. Fourth quarter, I jump right into October with the quest of Christian economics. I really tried to delve into what does that mean? How does that fit into Christian nationalism? How does it work? And uh, then I go into the depth of my views early on before all the hubbub uh, was going into what is Christian nationalism. And in between all of that, I cover elections. I talk about the global reset being the economics of two religions. And uh, then I kind of finish things out with uh, where we are uh, today and what is what do we have going on. So for the last five minutes here, as I get ready to summarize for you, I am, as I've already mentioned in the first and second segment, I'm lining up a really, really interesting guest for February who's going to talk about with me that first 
person analysis, and I've gone through his information in his writings, and I've done deep dives into uh, his references, and he nails it on the head as Madison being the first anti-Christian nationalist against Christian nationalism, which was in play from the founding of this nation up until the mid-1800s. And as I was mentioning from Reverend Adams' 1833 sermon, even Madison replied negatively to all of that. So that's going to be a lot of fun with, with that guest. And then I'm working on some other guests. I'll get back some other good friends that we haven't talked to in a year or so and get caught up with them and see what's happening. I'll get back on uh, one of my good author friends as well as uh, maybe a couple of the retired senior general staff uh, gentlemen that I know go through what they may have to say on what's going on from their perspective and what they're seeing in the the larger view, even from uh, the sides of those uh, strategic developments as they view it uh, on the international side, as well as what it means for us in relationship to all of these various agencies colluding with high tech to take and uh, bring tyranny upon the people. Uh, there's no other way to call it. That was despotic acts by all the federal government agencies leading to tyranny. Censorship is tyranny, and there's no other way to put it. Now, I am going to try and work on some other interesting interviews of people if I have the time to pull all that off, and we'll see where it goes. So it's going to be simple, yet with all of that, what I want to continue to do is drive home the facts and the realities that whatever you do, everything you do is based on your theology. And I always want to make it clear is that Sam Adams and those anti-federalists, they did. They got it right. So that's the simplicity of everything that we try to bring is that those mirrors of history for you become the parallels that you can take and say, all right, there's principles upon which we must live. What are those principles? How do they fit together for you? Well, you have to learn about them first and foremost. And then it becomes how do you self-govern in such a way that you're going to apply those principles and that you are going to, as we saw in some of the writings earlier, from what the Tocqueville said, and no different than what Witherspoon says, is that our ancestors were willing to fight. But a friend of mine, he says that eh, people aren't feeling the pain enough. You who are listening necessarily are not feeling the pain enough. That's sad because the pain right now should be so great that if it was 
our founders, the revolution would have started 10 years ago, 20 years ago, because already the attacks on our liberty, the attacks on what it means from what was brought together from de Tocqueville and what was brought together from Witherspoon and what was brought together from Reverend Adams and so many more, the separation of Christianity and liberty destroys good government. So what do you do in these last few moments of the program in the year? What you do is get involved in local groups, get involved in your local political environment, including your school board, and you fight. Fight for liberty. Understand your theology and know when you have the right theology, you will righteously take and engage in society for the victories of God. Come on back again next year when Samuel Adams returns and the Anti-Federalists got it right.